to Driving the Narrative, Women in Architecture, a podcast by SB Architects. I'm your host, Jeanette Hoffman. Throughout this series, I'll be delving deeper into what it means to be a woman in architecture. Today's guest is Karen Breitmeier, Principal and APAC BE, ICC, Accessibility Inspector, Plans Examiner at Studio Pacifica. Karen Breitmeier, an architect and advocate for accessibility and civil rights, for people with disabilities brings her unique life experiences to Studio Pacifica, the Seattle-based practice she founded in 1993. The accessibility consulting firm has been recognized regionally and nationally for its focus on universal design and social sustainability, and for finding creative ways to meet or exceed building codes that serve to give people with disabilities access to the greater world. Karen's focus on accessibility and civil rights for people with disabilities is reflected in her national and regional advocacy efforts. In 2010, she was appointed by President Barack Obama to the United States Access Board, a volunteer policy appointment she continues to hold today. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Karen. We're happy to see you again. Great, thank you. How have you been doing? Um, I Things are good. Things are, work is busy, so that's great, yeah? As long as we're all busy, we're all happy, right? We would love to know kind of how you got started. You know, what drew you to architecture? How how are we lucky enough to have you um, in this profession? And um, yeah, how'd you get going? Well, I I came at architecture sort of from a backwards um, route. I I have an undergraduate degree in a in a liberal art and. Um, my my dad was not not completely satisfied with that. Thought perhaps I should have a profession. And at the end of my um, academic uh, or what I thought the end of my academic career was, <laughs> sent me to an aptitude testing program. And the aptitude testing program surprisingly said that I would be really good at architecture. And I said, I can't do that. I've already graduated <laughs> from college. And they said, you can go back and get a master's as a first professional degree. And I said, Ugh, you know, I've already got plans. I, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> and I, I went off, um, worked for a while. And but the idea of architecture kind of started eating at me. And I, I ended up not being happy in the work I did immediately after college. So I thought, oh, I'll just give it a try. And um, I did enroll and within weeks realized, oh my gosh, this is exactly, this is like more fun than anything I've ever done. This is me. <laughs> I've, I've always been somebody who made things. Like I, I just, you know, like cardboard and glue and scissors were my favorite toys. And here I was going to get to do that for real life. Um, so I, so I, I just loved it. And I, I think it did not occur to me that I would do this to be, to, to make the world more accessible. I just wanted, I, I thought making things and building things was fun. You know, fast forward a number of years, I'm in the profession and I'm looking over the shoulders of my colleagues in my first couple of offices. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, 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 you, you don't want to do that. That's, that's not, I can't get in the door if you do that. So I sort of started nosing my way into 
other people's projects. And, <laughs> and then I started thinking, oh, you know, I, I probably should, I should probably do some research on what, what, what the requirements are and learn about this before I start, you know, poking at people. And, and so I did. And, um, I, I got involved in uh, our state building codes and making those uh, compliant with the ADA. I, all of this was happening just as accessibility as a, a federal regulation was kind of coming right. to the forefront. Um, so I, I can't say that I saw it coming or saw my career coming in the future, but um, I discovered I discovered I really liked it. I do it, as I've, I've said many times, kind of selfishly, because I want to get in buildings. I want my friends and family to get in. So, you know, I, I think it's like really fun. Right. I think we're all, I think I can speak for all of us when we say we're a little bit selfish in the sense that we want to see someone experience these things that we've created and how and make them feel better while they're experiencing them. And I think that that's what you do, you know? You sort of step, put, put your feet into um, the, the shoes of these people that are experiencing all of these spaces, whether they're like you or me or Ashley or anyone else, and try to make that experience the best it can be. And I think that's incredible, you know? Um, I, I what? think it's, it's unusual, and regrettably, it's unusual to find people in the design profession who do see the world from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we don't, the profession is not as diverse as I would like to see it in, in terms of um, kind of perspective. And, I, you know, like, I mean, as a, as a full-time wheelchair user <laughs> at, for years and years and years, I mean, you could literally say I have a different line of sight um, than many people, but um I, I think that's, that's the, the, the way we can most impact our design work is to bring uh, a diverse group to the table who are gonna maybe be able to see those subtle and unintended kind of barriers that traditional architecture might set up. Right. And I mean, do you feel like, I mean, having the seat at the table, we talk about this so much on this podcast, and I feel like it's the best underlying theme. Um, do you feel like now that you, you're coming to the table with different architects as a consultant, as your own architecture firm, do you feel like most of the time, the things that people are missing are just not even ill-intended or just, they're not thinking of it? Like, it's just, like you said, the line of sight, they would never think would be um, altered by something that they're doing. Do you feel like some, a lot of this is simply educating people on how a, how a space is experienced from someone else's perspective? I, I do actually. That's um, I think I, I I I really don't believe anybody like yeah anybody's intentionally being ex exclusive. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'll just use as an example. Um, uh, restaurants with tall yeah. top tables. I, I, I think maybe we might we have talked about this. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a classic. And I I had a friend say to me last night that they went to a new 
new to them restaurant and walked in and it's kind of like a bar. So all the tables were tall and um, she was, she is a person of her stature and was with a friend who's a wheelchair user. And they went in and they said, oh, well, don't you have any like regular tables? And the manager said, oh, no problem. We'll shorten one for you. So he gets down on his hands and knees what? and like cranks the table down low. So all the other folks at the restaurant oh are looking. And I think people don't understand how awkward, how, you know, like that would say to me as a wheelchair user, you're not, you're not welcome here. And I, I'm quite certain they don't think they're mm -hmm. doing it. They mm -hmm. think they're just trying to increase the turnover uh, rate for their, you know, for their diners. But um, anyways, those are subtle things. And, and, but I can say that I can't see, I, I cannot necessarily see things that we might be doing that might um, uh, say you're not welcome to other marginalized groups. So that's why we need we need a lot of perspectives looking at our projects who can go, oh, oh, you probably didn't catch that. <laughs> Perspective is everything. I know I love this um, example of yours. I was listening to one of your interviews for AIA and we talked about the bathroom mirrors and the bathroom counters and your labs. And I loved, I told you, we need to make a book of your, your bathroom selfies that you take. Can you talk a little bit about how it feels to sort of experience just an everyday thing, uh, going into a restroom and being, feeling like, oh, wow, somebody thought about how in every person might experience this space. Oh, <laughs> that is, um, I've been taking those selfies for, for years because I just think they're so <laughs> informative. I, I, I think it's, it's um, hard for people who are standing height to understand what it's like to roll up to a bathroom uh, sink or a lavatory and, and look in the mirror. And when you are that low, you may only see, you know, like the crown of your head. Karen from the, the yeah, forehead up. Forehead up. And I'm like, well, okay, that's not going to be very helpful. And, and regrettably, this happens often in hotels. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I have no idea what my hair looks like today. You know, I'm just going to have to wing it. So, um, but it really does matter. I think that's a perfect example of why when the code tells us that the bottom edge of the reflecting surface of a mirror should be... 40 inches off the floor. That's not the bottom edge of the decorative frame or the bottom edge of the beveled part of the mirror. It's the reflecting surface because, you know, you take two inches off of that and there's nothing left of me. So right, um, right. But when it's done right, I can see myself, my whole face. Right, <laughs> so right. That's kind of the goal. The little things in life, you know? <laughs> Um, what do you think are some of the biggest sort of challenges that you face in architecture right now, um, trying to get designers to consider and even in already built um, architecture, what do you think are some of the, the barriers that we can sort of help overcome? And what do you feel like are your most common conversations with architects right now 
um, through sort of an accessibility lens. So, wow, that's um, that's kind of a diverse list. So, I I'm, I'm going to change it a little bit and say that I sure. think the area that I that I would like architects to be more mindful of and focus yes. on is accessible housing. There mm -hmm. are regulations across the country for the percent of how multifamily housing that must be accessible. And certainly state by state, what accessible means varies a little bit, but um, there is no regulation, at least in my state and many of the states I work on, that matches the people who need that feature and the things that we're building into our housing. The, the idea was that we could just increase the percentage of housing stock to be ex accessible. I can guarantee that it is nearly impossible as a wheelchair user to find an open and available accessible apartment. Um, we need to increase that number. We need to do better. We need to make more accessibility in our housing. So that would be the first thing I would ask architects to do to really That's drill in point. to understanding how to design usable and fun, you know, attractive and affordable accessible housing. Um, then I then you ask about sort of what are the most common issues? Well, I think in existing buildings, the the most common barriers that we see are not are, are alterations that are made after the project is complete. So even simple things like the the um, management changes their their dispenser for paper towels, and they the the companies that's bringing them new paper towels says, oh, we don't want that dispenser on the wall. We're going to put ours on instead. And they install it in a non-compliant location. And now all of a sudden you can't reach the paper towels. So, so those are, that's not something necessarily the architect has control over. That's where the building ownership has responsibility is to ensure that any alterations you're ma you make are, are done in a compliant manner. Um, and then I think in terms of, of design options, I think that at least here in the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of leadership um, in accessibility um, being driven by uh, corporations mm -hmm. who want to attract the best and the brightest employees. And so they're trying to create campuses or workplaces that are like really welcoming and accessible to everybody. And so they're looking at how can we not only meet the federal and state requirements, but what we what can we do that's like better than that? Like how can we do better? And they are going to their employees for advice. They are looking to um, people in the disability community, people in the design community and saying, really challenging us to say, what can we do better? And I think that's super exciting because we're getting to see examples of new ideas. They may not be required, but but if they're really great, you can share those and other people will build them. And then, you know, that's the way we can make change. 
Right. I mean, never did we think that corporate America would be pushing the envelope for a positive, but these things that we're talking, you know what I mean? These sort of larger goals, um, not to be facetious, are really important that once we start to see whether it's a Google campus or whoever it is, start to push these parameters, guess what? My architecture firm and all of them are going to start following suit, right? Because now we have a drive not only to do it for um, people that we're speaking to specifically like clients, but for their greater good, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. How do you think that, we talked about this a good bit, and I think it's something important to touch on, um, and this relates to what we're talking about right now. How do you think we get architects and, and even clients, we talked about that a little bit, to sort of put these accessible parameters at the forefront of our conversations in design and help them understand that this is just another design element. This isn't something that should be um, for, you know, perceived as a challenge. It's more of a, an opportunity. How do we have those conversations? I think that you're, this is where you, you can help us so much. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, I think, um, I think accessible design is just good design. You know, when I was a young architect, it was trendy to design for people. And, you mm -hmm. know, the, the range of human includes people with disability. That's just a natural part of the range. And it's also a part of our uh, kind of our lifespan. You know, you start out like little and you need a lot of help from your parents and then you you kind of go up the bell curve in terms of ability. And, and then as we get older, you, you know, things might start uh, waning a little bit there, you know, like, you know, that's when you can't see the menu in the restaurant, you need, you need your um, reading glasses and things like that. So, so recognizing that there's this normal range of human and designing for that is, is just good design. So what we want to encourage our design teams and our architects to do is to think about that at the very core of your project. How, so if you want everyone to feel a particular experience when you walk in your building, like um, you want people to come, maybe the, maybe the entry is kind of um, tight and congested so that as you move into the atrium space, there's this big, you know, opening and brightness and light and everything. How do you do that in a way that everyone experiences that sense, that um, excitement or thrill of the building? So I think, you know, and the answer is different for every project, but that's what I'd like to challenge our designers to be thinking about is like, how do we extend this like amazing experience that is going to be your building to everybody. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, can you talk to us a little bit about your work on um, the Space Needle and uh, with uh, Kundig? How did you, I mean, the design is beautiful. So please, please, please paint a picture for us on the podcast so everyone can understand how you, how you sort of consulted and helped on that project. Well, first of all, we are just, um, super uh, honored to get to work on um, so many wonderful projects with Olson Kundig. They are such a creative team and often challenge me and push push my uh, limits and say, well, we really want to do this. And I'm like, um, okay, 
let's figure out how to do that in an accessible way. Um, they have really taken the baton of, of inclusive design and, and run with it. And it's been just an honor to work with them. Um, but with the Space Needle, I, I think, you know, first of all, the, the sort of um, significant changes that they made in terms of um, the, the, the ability for people to experience the thrill of being so high off the ground and seeing, you know, things. Mm -hmm. That's all them. I, I, I am not a person who likes heights. So they were describing <laughs> me and I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I, I think um, they also came up with this very interesting, I'm going to call it an sort of uh, an, a, a folding platform lift, uh, which, which is a device that um, changes from a set of stairs, uh, flattens that those stairs into a platform lift and embedded it into this iconic sort of circular um, stair that rims the the space needle. Um, and I I I loved the idea. wasn't sure it was going to work, but it does, and it really is um, beautiful and seamless. So I think it was the back and forth that conversation that where they would say, well, what if we did this? And when I, we'd go, yeah, great. And, you know, I think um, that's the best kind of uh, way to engage accessibility consultants is to be in that collaborative support mm -hmm. relationship. And, um, and they certainly do make it fun. Yeah, it sounds like you had a pretty open and trusting relationship where you could just be honest back and forth about you know, what was working, what, what wasn't, which oh, is important. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think, uh, we, I, I think that is a, I hope uh, a hallmark of the way all of my team work with our clients, which is that we're, we're there not to, to restrict your design or change your design, mm. but to support it. So we're, we're exactly. here to try to say, I see where you're going. I, I know what you're trying to get at. Let's find a way to really enhance that so that everybody can do it. I mean, you know, on a, on a rare occasion, there are, there are just hard no's, but m most of the time it's, it's like, okay, that's creative. Let's see what we can do with that, you know? Yeah, at the heart of it, people are good and we want to do good. So if someone helps us do it, we're we're there for it, you know? And that's, that's part of this. Um, and I think that's one of the special uh, special characteristics that I find in this part of the country because so many of our um, designers, um, you know, engineers, uh, owners, uh, developers, they want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we just have a level of ignorance, which is why we need, we need more voices at the table. It's how we, how we end up making it better. Like you said, um, do you think that we've talked about it a, a little bit of the built environment and I know you went through school, um, a, a couple of years ago. So for, for people, <laughs> for people coming into, into school now or thinking about coming into the industry, or maybe not yet, you know, maybe they come across a test that tells them to go do some architecture. Um, do you feel like our profession and our educational system is inviting? What can we do to help, help 
um, the accessibility um, and minorities in, in any sort of fashion feel like architecture is a safe space to come and work and study? Oh, gosh. Um, so I think there's work to be done in that area. Um, I, 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 I'm suspicious, actually, that when it comes to people with disabilities, um, that many of them are not even considering architecture because somebody in their high school or their early years said, you know, you, you can't do that because architects need to be able to, you know, climb a ladder and swing a hammer and, and be like, be the part of the construction team, which go is, around muddy sites all the right. time. Like, like, that's that not... is not, that's not the, the real uh, work of our, but, but I think people who don't quite understand what we do have this perception of the field. And I will say that architecture schools in my experience, are not always terribly open to folks who need, you know, students who need to do their projects in a different way. If you don't have great hand dexterity and the project requires that you build a model, um, some schools are like, well, you just can't do that. And I believe that we need to be looking at within our schools, What's the essential nature of the project? Is the project literally about gluing cardboard or is the project about, you know, coming up with a design? And there, with computers and technology, there are so many different tools that you can use to express yourself that I, I struggle a little bit with what I've experienced in terms of schools that are less supportive. I, um, and I'm one of those people that, you know, if someone tells me, I don't think you can do that, that makes me even more determined to do it. Amen. So I, I spent a lot of my architecture school career, like figuring out what are the, what are the tools and things that work for me? Um, but I, but I, and there are some of us out there. I mean, there are architects with disabilities practicing successfully. We just need to find a way to match those sort of pre-architects with architects who can give them that boost to say you can do it. And then I think we also need to encourage architecture firms to support and be open to uh, their diverse employees. Like if your hiring practice requires a telephone interview in your first, like your first line of, mm. of, um, of um, interviewing, someone who's hard of hearing may not be able to do that successfully. This does not mean they cannot be a great architect. So like, think about like your hiring practices, where's your office? How many architects offices are in inaccessible locations? You know, too many. <laughs> I know. And I can tell you that I have great colleagues here in town that come and meet me at my office because I can't get to theirs. So, I mean, you know, we should be doing better. It's very true. And it's eye-opening. Just a couple of things you said just now, you know, how 
we really have no excuse in architecture is the truth that someone shouldn't feel comfortable coming to our profession because we have so many avenues of, of ways to create design and create architecture. We have software, we have draw, drafting, we have, uh, you can literally talk to your computer and help and tell it how to um, change a, a line or a space now. You have AI, you have, I mean, truly there, every single sense can be utilized to create design. So why are we saying that it has to be Con confined to these three things, right? Like I loved model making in school, but there were plenty of other students that didn't. And in no way, to be completely honest with you, did did building a model help me understand a, a space more than someone next to me? It just, I liked it, right? I, I liked doing it. So I think that's such a good point. I mean, we really have every tool at our exposure to be able to just let people experience design in the way that they need to. And that's really beautiful, right? So we should be more inviting about it. And the hiring practices, that's sadly and never crossed my mind, you know, and I, I'm embarrassed to say it, that, you know, thinking about how we interview someone can really make or break how inviting. And like you said, well, this things that we don't even know we're doing can make someone feel like, well, you're not welcome here. And that's the last thing I know I want to do or my bosses or my colleagues want to ever make someone feel like, you know, so, but these unintentional steps can do that. And so we need to be more intentional, I guess, is how, was what I'm saying with what I'm hearing from you. And, and the other thing to recognize, I'm sure you do, is that there are so many different roles one can play within the mm -hmm. within the firm or within the field right Absolutely. so you know, i i am not like a star designer i'm a problem solver so i would always be like i'm probably more your project architect type but then you know i have friends who are like they are amazing designers but they aren't really so great at uh, you know i mean <laughs> exactly. you have you have different skills and we need all those in order to be successful in our firms in our projects so we we just want to look for those people out in the world who want to join our profession who have strengths in some of those areas and then like you know scaffold them to become the architect that they can be I, I personally think that design professions are incredibly flexible and, and can really work for so many people. As long as you have that sort of innate interest and drive, like you have to really want to do it because architecture school is hard. Right. None <laughs> um, of this is easy <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> um, but if you can make it, you know, like be dedicated and make it, then I really feel like there's place in the profession for, for all of us. Um, it's such a good point. And I think that we, we do have an advantage as designers and architects that we are creative in the way we want to uh, create these designs. And so, like you said, um, you know, we could scream it from the rooftops and say it on this podcast because we're blue in the face, but it's true. The more diverse you of staff and 
people you have coming to the table, whether it's what they're good at, right? Right. Some people have that visionary mind, the storyteller. Some people are the problem solvers. Some people are love communicating with the client and love communicating with the consultants. And not one of those different type of people is less important than the other. We need all of them. So, you know, right. Like creating a, a space where you can thrive in this in any way, right. As long as you love architecture, as long as you have that passion. Um, it's so true. Uh, what do you think uh, is from day to day? I know we talk about this and you're such a positive person. So you could probably name a handful, but what do you feel like is the most rewarding part of your job? Um, what kind of keeps you going uh, every day? Oh boy, there's I, a number of things actually. I know. <laughs> for for you know for every um, project that we have um, that we've been able to make a positive influence on, that's that's a win in my book for for every architect that comes away from a project going, that's why they are requiring, you know, a 60 inch turning circle for, uh, oh my gosh, that totally makes sense. You know, they walk away with some new knowledge and a different perspective. That's a win. Um, I, I think um, being able to uh, share my ideas like this, where I'm, I'm talking to, uh, other folks, either in the profession or in related areas, encouraging them to try to uh, make change in the profession or continue the path of change, that's that's a win. So I, I, I'm just, I am super lucky to be doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I am at an age where I, I keep thinking, yeah, maybe I should think about retiring. And my, my daughter just kind of laughed and she's, you, you are never going to be able to give this up because um, be, be I, honest with yourself. Because <laughs> I just, um, I'm too, I just, I'm too sort of addicted to like making, making sure that the city, the community, each project is, is the best it can be. And, you know, the goal is that nobody can see it, right? That nobody can, like, people don't walk up to a building and go, wow, that's really accessible. You should walk <laughs> up to a building and, and like, just feel like, hey, I want to go in there. Hey, you should just right? feel seamless. Yeah. Like, what you're going to notice are the barriers, right? You should not mm -hmm. notice it. You should just roll in. So I've had architects say, can you show me pictures of your accessibility. And I'm like, well, it's not going to really look like much. It looks like <laughs> the design of our, you know, our clients. And that's the goal. <laughs> right. It should just look like a well thought out design. I hope you don't see it. <laughs> exactly. If you can look at the picture and find it, maybe I'm in trouble. That's a good way to think about it. Um, I, you are, you really are such a breath of fresh air. You're so inspiring. Um, you say you're lucky to be in this profession, but I think this profession is lucky to have you. And I truly mean that in all sense of the words. Um, do you have any specific projects that if you worked on in your past, or you're working on now that sort of, um, you love to talk about that you got to see that sort of moment where someone experienced it afterwards or that the client really had that aha moment that, you know, 
I feel like there's so many times in this conversation. So I'm sure there's so many times in your conversations with clients and colleagues that people go, oh, aha, like that aha moment, that wow moment, or just, oh, I'd have never thought of that. You know, do you have those projects that when you look back on your career, they stick out to you as that was really special? Oh, um, I can't, I, it's really hard to pick one. I think, I think, you know, recently I, I had the opportunity to talk with um, an architect that's working on a, a, a multifamily building project here in mm-hmm. Seattle. And um, th- I really felt like with our interaction, that architect walked away with not only a better understanding of what the codes and regulations are, but also an understanding of the why. Like, why do we want to do this? And I I was super encouraged because I, I know this person works on many different projects and will continue through their career. And so to feel like that one architect walked away with um, knowledge and understanding of that particular project type, really, that's a, that's a, like, as I keep saying, that's a win. That's that is a, a win. Important, um, goal. I, I can think of a project that I, I could say I very strongly influenced, which is um, one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Seattle. It's a um, maritime heritage center. They sure. were a new building. So the center for wooden boats, they were building a new building and it's a very small little two-story structure that had um, boat shop on the ground floor and upstairs was a classroom. And it, it was small enough that it didn't require an elevator. But I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, you need an elevator. Like you need an elevator. And they're like, oh, I don't know if we need, we need an elevator. And I I really feel like I, like maybe persistence is a good thing, but I eventually changed their mind, got the architect and the construction team on board, and there's an elevator in that building. And and I know, and and they, I think, I just can't imagine how they could operate all the cool activities that they do there, you know, for kids and for seniors and everybody without having it. And so to me, that's a project that I, I feel like, yes, I, I strongly influence them to make sure that it, it really is usable by everybody. And, um, and that was, that was, I, I'm happy about that one. That is, I mean, it is really special because I feel like if you walked into that building today, how many people are using that elevator? It would immediately inform you like, see, you know, I mean, children, adults, grandparents, everyone. And um, just about the multifamily, I would think that now moving forward, that architect is not going to think of a multifamily space in the same way they did before and for the, and for the good. And that's really special. When you touched on the housing market earlier, I just like, I wrote down these notes. It was like paper towels, bathrooms, housing, mirrors, elevators, none of these things are outrageous, right? None of these things are something that you would go, oh, wow, that's so much. I mean, that's outside the norm of consideration in an architecture building, none of them. And these are basic needs and basic rights of a human being in a building. And as architects, we, we 
should hold ourselves to a higher standard. We are not, we are more than just the basic needs, right? That's why people come to the architects, right? And so the fact that these are conversations that we're having as if these are things that shouldn't automatically be considered for someone to live in a space and experience a space normally is eye-opening, you know? Um, and I think that we can't have this conversation enough, right? I, this is just, like you said, it should just be a part of design. So the more we can talk about it, the more we can have everyone have a seat at the table, we're getting one step closer every day is what I'm hopeful for, you know? And talking to you, I mean, it's just, it's a very, very hopeful um, future. And I think that we all need to just keep maintaining this sort of trend. Is there anything else that you think that we should um, put out into the universe of, of just what you're feeling about how your latest experiences are? Do you think that you'll ever, you know, you're, you joked about your daughter saying, mom, you're never going to quit, right? And I think that's so true about so many architects. You know, we never feel like our work is, is done or complete. Um, do you think you'll ever feel like that? Do you think you'll come to a pause and feel like it's it's time at any point. What do you think that'll be? That's a tough question, I know. <laughs> so, you know, I I think um, I'm looking now at like how I can mentor um, mm. other folks to kind of carry the carry the flag forward and and keep the pressure on to make sure that accessible design is a key part of all of our projects and that accessible design continues to evolve because, you know, we have regulations, but they're not done. They're not perfect. We have, we have more to go. And, and I think um, I'm looking to a younger members of the profession, younger, younger people who may not yet know that they can be a part of the profession to come in and say, hey, don't forget about, don't forget about making, doing better in, in various areas. You know, right now the codes and regulations are pretty much mobility centric, but we need more regulation and guidance around um, um, hearing, um, hard of hearing and deaf community uh, design, um, design for people in the low vision and blindness community. Mm -hmm. and, and design that supports um, folks in the neurodiverse community. So we have, we have a long ways to go, you know, sure. more work. Um, so we, we need, we need people come join. Yeah. Come on, come join. <laughs> come join. There's plenty of room. Yeah. <laughs> the water's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Karen. Um, I think we can wrap up now, but I really Thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge, for taking the time. I know you're very busy. You have a full architecture firm to run and um, we appreciate you here over at SB and we can't wait to share your podcast. You're going to be the best addition to these uh, latest episodes. And um, I think everyone's really going to enjoy this one. So thank you so, so much. Well, this has just been a joy. I love talking about this stuff and you certainly have a great grasp of the issues. So it's been just a pleasure. So, so fun. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.